a Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show presented by Maxis Tires and Alpine Stars Protects on RacerXOnline.com. With your continued support of our sponsors, we have surpassed 1,000 podcasts delivered with over 7 million downloads. Click that Amazon banner on Pulp MX to help us out and donate via Patreon if it suits you. And as always, enrich your moto lifestyle by working with the sponsors who support us. The original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome, everybody, to the Fly Racing Racer X Podcast with Marty Tribes. Marty has done a hell of a lot uh, in this sport when you look at his accomplishments. He won the first ever Supercross, people, at 16 years old. First time in the Coliseum, 1972. He won it. He won the uh, first American to win a USGP at Unadilla. He uh, won Nationals. He won Supercrosses. He battled with Bob Hanna. He uh, rode for Harley-Davidson Factory, Ball Tackle Factory, Can-Am Factory. A lot going on with Marty Trapps, for sure. And um, he's also one here to talk about his new race series he's got for two strokes. Uh, sounds interesting, and we'll get into that and more the rest of his career on the Sean the Show. Fly Racing, they've doubled down on their efforts to produce the best performance MX and off-road products. The Formula Helmet has redefined expectations in protection, ventilation, and weight. I absolutely love mine. It's, it is seriously it's an amazing helmet. Their F2 was a good helmet. Nothing wrong with it. This formula, though, I, I it's so good. Man, it's amazing. So flyracing.com for more information on that. And uh, thanks to Alpine Stars, the Tech 7 and Tech is the boot of choice for myself. The Tech 10 is the most advanced boot in motocross today. And uh, you've seen Alpine Stars on the feet of national champion like Eli Tomac and, and many other people out there uh, over the years. A-Stars, you know their name. I've been to their factory. I can't believe the R&D and the testing process that goes through each and every product at Alpine Stars. Man, these guys are serious over there in Italy to bring you the best products. And uh, they certainly have the name over the years that backs that up. Thanks to Maxis as well, MXST, developed by Jeremy McGrath, used by AJ Cantanzaro and Supercross. Maxis mountain bike tires are amazing. Maxis MXSTs are very, very good. And uh, the, the IT line is coming out soon, and we're working on a discount code for you people to buy some Maxis and test out for yourself what you think. So thanks to those guys for coming on board. Let's get into Marty Tripes and all that he's done on and off the bike and uh, very interesting guy, very funny guy, the originator of the El Cajon zone, as you'll hear, or Santee. It's El Cajon. Don't listen to Marty. Santee's just next to El Cajon. But uh, whether it's uh, Marty Smith, whether it's uh, Glover, RJ, Dogger, Burnworth, Croft, as he talks about, Marty Traps was the first one, really, to come out of there. So uh, factory Honda rider for many, many years as well, factory Yamaha, of course. So let's get right into it. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Here's Marty Traps. As promised here on the Fly Racing Racer X podcast, uh, a show that I'm really looking forward to doing with uh, an absolute uh, legend of the sport of motocross, won a USGP, won some nationals, won the first ever Supercross, raced a Harley-Davidson, uh, and then an AMA Hall of Famer. I think I've got it just about everything there. It's Marty Tribes. What's up, Marty? How are you? 
Hey, good to talk to you, Steve. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Uh, you'd reached out to me a little while ago. Um, we had never really, I don't think we've ever met, but I certainly know about your career. I certainly know the things that you've done. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, to digging into it a little bit. Yeah. You know, Blizzard, it was a really nice intro, Steve, but you forgot one thing. What's that? I, I am also the world's best taco vendor. Oh, I did not know that. Okay. I did not want to leave that out. Right. No, please don't. No, please don't. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, yeah, man, there's lots to, lots to talk to. You're also you're involved in this race, which is uh, something that we chatted about a little while ago. Uh, we'll get into that for sure uh, here in a little bit. But let me um, – you go to the races much? You still follow it much? You still still into it? Well, I was involved pretty heavy until about four years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, my fiancé had con- – uh, catastrophic heart failure, and um, so it was a very large problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to keep her alive the last uh, three years, and it's been doctor after doctor, hospital after hospital, and emergency after. I mean, for six months at a one time, we were six days in the hospital emergency room and one day at home. So Jeez. it's it's been a tough battle. Yep. And uh, with that, I have not gone to the races for quite a while, over two, three years. Oh, boy. Okay. So I let my 100cc class, which we'll talk about hopefully in a little bit, uh, my Marty Trutzman 100cc uh, factory racers, mm-hmm. kind of let that, had the slide and wasn't coming to races, but yep. I had a pretty good excuse. And then on top of all this, I went down about six months ago. I had to have a stent. And uh, things were great afterwards, but that started turning weird. And in the last three months, I was running out of power. And so I actually just went into surgery. Uh, I forget what they call it. They go up through your wrist. And um, yep. to put a stent and look around and see what was wrong. And they think they've got it this time. So hopefully, you know, I'm recovering, getting stronger every day. I think they've got it. I feel pretty good. But Good. Yeah, so it's getting better and getting ready for this race. So I'm looking forward. I miss going to the races. Yeah, really. It's something you've been doing your whole life, right? I mean, geez. You know, yeah. it is. And when you get involved, there's other folks out there that have done this for as many years as I had. Have, and um, there's some points, well, with me, everybody knows I became a factory racer. And that's the top of what anybody would want in mm-hmm. cross, but there's a giant cost, Steve, and folks out there that people don't realize what goes with that, how much traveling, uh, no family time, no, there's nothing. Yeah. And if you compare our racing of 70s and 80s to today, this new generation, call them, a, well, I don't know what you call them, the 20s, what they don't realize, we used to race 48 weeks out of the year. And uh, that's a lot of racing. Yeah, and even during the week, right? SoCal, tons of races during the week back in the day? Well, in the early 70s, we used to have a lot of night racing. We'd yeah. have, uh, in California, uh, Long Beach. You'd have Long Beach, Orange County drag strips, uh, Irvindale. The point being, we could race from, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday night, and race Thursday, Friday nights, Saturday at Carlsbad or, or uh, Saddleback, 
and Sunday vice versa or another track around. Yeah. And uh, heck, I, I used to take my girlfriend's boyfriend. I mean, my girlfriend's uh, brother with me, I should say. <laughs> yeah. Joe Holt, Joe Holt. And um, we would live in my van, literally. Jeez. And park in parking lots, sleep on the bike, sleep on the grass. Yeah. Because I'm in San Diego, right? Right. So it's about a 100-mile drive. But the point was, back, we could make $1,000 a weekend, maybe over by winning those races. And as you know, in 70... 71, that was quite a bit of money. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's that's what we did. Now, you're the original El Cajon Zone, you and Marty Smith, uh, at least to me anyways. Um, I'm, I'm too young to have seen you race a lot, uh, but obviously Glover and Ronnie and RJ and all those guys, Burnworth, that followed you and Marty. Um, did you and Marty Smith bang bars like your whole lives coming up in San Diego? Like, were you guys, are you guys close to the same age? Is that around the same time where it just it's Marty Tripes and Marty Smith seemingly like running through the ranks? Well, you know, Marty was a couple of years after me. Oh, was he? Okay. Marty came in around, I'm just thinking here, 74, 75, and I was already pro at, at um, 72. Four, 14 years 14. Old. Oh, geez. And I, before the Coliseum, I was on uh, the Interam circuit, they called it. Okay. We had Robert, Dave Vickers, Thorsten Holman, Hawk and Anderson from Sweden, and uh, I think we had a couple Czech writers, Falta, uh, Staduka maybe, and then we had all the Americans. This yeah. is the birth of motocross, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. So Marty Mar- Mar- Smith followed you. <laughs> Let's get that straight. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you go, when you say the Cajon Zone. Yep. I'm in Santee. Oh, I, that's the same thing. Come on, Marty. It's the yeah, same thing. Yeah, I'm getting technical because these guys, <laughs> I love them, but they never say, hey, what about that Santee kid, Marty? <laughs> what about the Santee zone? <laughs> I never <laughs> hear much bender. about the Santee zone. Yeah, um, what about that taco bender? Right, right, right. Oh, that's interesting. And uh, So, yeah, yeah, the Cajon zone consisted of a lot of writers uh, that didn't make it, but were great locals. Yeah. Eric Kripa was one of them. He was a was Cri- mechanic. I didn't know Kripa was it. Yeah, yeah, I know Kripa, yeah. Yep, right there in El Cajon. Uh, Murray. Uh, then you got Brock, Ronnie Lachine, Rick, Rick Johnson, um, Tommy Croft. Burnworth. I was in San Diego, yeah. and then Marty Smith was Point Loma. I was in Santee. My brother was in Santee. My didn't quite make factory, but he did travel the circuit. Mm-hmm. Yep. And a, a lot of riders came out. We were what is now considered the hotbed of um, motocross that Florida is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it was it was amazing. It was amazing. Um, so when you were, you wrapped it up in 1980, and people are telling you about this Rick Johnson kid and, and this Ron Machine kid's 14, and, and Brock just turned pro like in 77 or whatever, and you're like, yeah, I mean, those guys are good, but I'm already done my career. It's, it's over by now, so. Well, I wasn't done, actually. Uh, and it's a funny story. In the L.A. Coliseum in 72, mm-hmm. Brock Glover, and I think Brock told me, and they could correct you, so I might have this wrong, but they were friends and growing up on many bikes. Mm-hmm. And Brock and Ricky went to the first Supercross. Oh, did they? Okay. I understand. He yeah. told me this. And um, he's told his parents 
his dad that night that he was going to be a professional motocrosser like Marty Tripes. And that Ricky had made up his mind, yeah. too, that they were both going to exceed. And you got to remember, these kids were like kids. Ricky and Brock were riding yeah. mini bike races yep. at that time. In 72, yeah, Oaks. for sure, right. And the other good story is Steve Wise out of McAllen, Texas, one of our best mm-hmm. uh, Texas, Texas riders ever, and probably the best universal rider from um, – PT, motocross, yeah. and road racer. They were in LA on vacation, and they were driving through LA, and there was a big billboard, Supercross Saturday, LA Coliseum, this and this. And they drove by, and he goes, Dad, I want to go to that. <laughs> so his dad said, yeah. So he went. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, yeah. And basically that night, and he was a, like a novice, I gather a novice at the time in McAllen, Texas. He told his dad that I'm going to be a supercross racer, dad. So oh, wow. the, the point is, I don't, you don't think about these things. Yeah. You go through all these years and people come up to you later and say, you changed my life that night. And uh, I've been really blessed with that with many, many riders across the States and the world. The funny thing about Steve is, Steve did become a pro, and in 1978, Steve Wise is on a factory Honda, and he's my teammate. Ah. So (laughs) think about that. (laughs) From the time he said he was going to do it, and then Brock and Marty were all about the same timeline, became factory riders, and Steve Wise is now training and living with me. Oh, that's well, funny. That's pretty amazing, I think. You're 16 years old. The first ever Supercross, L.A. Coliseum. Mike Goodwin puts it on. What, I mean, look, I know you're probably tired of talking about it because everyone wants to talk, you, talk to you about it, but I haven't asked you anything about yeah, it. So. Actually, um, no. <laughs> um, what, were you th- I want it. Were you thinking, like, this has a future? Were you, th- were you guys thinking, you as a, as a group of racers, were you like, this is cheese ball? This is this is never going to work. Or were you guys like, yeah, this is awesome. I mean, of course, apparently the crowd was huge. Um, you know, you so you won the first ever Supercross. And what were the thoughts before the race? Like, did you, did you think this could be something where now it is the premier off-road championship, you know, uh, um, in the world? So what were your thoughts of that first one? Well, I rode a lot of trials. I rode bikes, trail riding, and did things that none of the other riders would do. Mm-hmm. As far and hill climbing, in my time, I don't think. I'm not trying to pat myself in the back here, but I'm an incredible hill climber, and um, stuff like that, and downhills and off camber stuff. Yeah, throwing in trials bike and doing stuff that you see trials riders. Well, back then were amazing, and today they're just over amazing. But I rode the most difficult stuff I could ride, thinking that's what's going to make me better. And that's what I did. Uh, The only thing that wasn't there was the high speed. And so I forced myself to ride in fourth and fifth gears and make turns in fourth Mm -hmm. and fifth to get used to the speed. So then I had a full package. 
Well, the point getting to when I got to the L.A. Coliseum, everybody was complaining. <laughs> this is not a racetrack. This Look is, at this jump. This is bullshit. This mud hole, and we're going to ride here. And for me, I kept hearing everybody, and I had just turned, oh, 16, nine days before. Yeah. Uh, June 29th, I believe the race was July 8th, if I remember correct, or July 9th. Uh, so I'm a young whippersnapper. I, I'm dumb and full of you know what, and I'm ready to go. And so I take this in, and everybody's complaining, and I thought, I'm having fun with these tight turns because I've done all this and these little jumps and and. I've taken little jumps and, and, and seen how far that I could uh, fly the bike. And so it just came to me really good. Um, the biggest thing, I think, was when you're growing up in that age, in that era, say, of um, before Brock, before um, Ricky and then, because they were just after us, and motocross was just introduced in the United States and 68, 69 through Edison Dye, mm -hmm. the first Husqvarna importer. Uh, I got to see a couple of races that weren't uh, inner rams, they weren't sanctioned. And here you have Joe there, Thorsten right. Holland, Roger DeCoster, David Dickers, and the list goes on. And we're seeing this Americans for the first time in our lives. These guys on bikes doing incredible things. Yeah. And so I was sold on it. So I know this is going awful, but I'm just trying to get you guys and your your people to understand what I was thinking. Right. So now when we're on the track, practice is over, race comes up, and um, I think I had two pretty good starts and one fairly bad start. But the biggest thing was... You're racing now against your mentors. And I'm only 16 years old. Yeah. Got to keep that in mind. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I got posters of Robert in my bedroom. <laughs> you know, posters of Thorsten Holman in my bedroom. I'm a kid. Now I'm racing right beside him. And I'm beating some of them. Yeah. So if you can kind of keep with me and the folks out there you idolize all these riders imagine yourself being thrown in with them you're not only racing with them but you're beating them it's hard to tell your mind i can't beat that guy that's that's roger DeCoster. that's well roger came a little later i should say mm -hmm. but that's thorsten home and yeah and that's fault and it's hard to keep your mind strong to tell you, you can't beat these guys. Yeah. You know, yeah. does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. No, for sure. So it was a very fast uh, learning curve. Uh, I don't believe I won a moto, but I ran consistent and I got, uh, I finished all three motos with seconds and enough to win the race. What, what a... What a dream. Oh, I bet. And, and and how many people were there? It was packed, right? Well, it wasn't packed, but for a first event uh -huh. and for going across the states and doing the races, 
I believe there was 23,000 folks. Maybe a little more, but yep. not much more, mid-20s. Yep. So for us, that was a lot of people. That's a lot of people, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, it must have just – so the general thinking among a lot of guys was like, this is a one-off, this is nothing, this is dumb, this is not going to be anything, would you say, for Supercross? Was that? I think in some said that. I think a lot more said – I hope we don't have to come to this. <laughs> and then, um, if, actually, if you could break in thirds, yeah, and the other third with the fans, seeing them race inside of the stadium mm-hmm. was very appealing. Also, even yeah. though the track wasn't what we would call a motocross track or any type of track, so right, um, I, it, it was done. It was here, here to stay. Yeah. Yeah, what a what, do people want to talk to you more about that or about the USGP at Unadilla and winning that and becoming the first American? Which which is it? You know, that's a tough question. <laughs> Seriously, because now you had a great race with Hannah that one, right? If I remember right, didn't Hannah and you go at it for that first? Ins- yep. Yeah. Well, actually, it was Jim Ellis. Okay. Hannah and me, Hans Bosch. Uh, the Russian, uh, Dokhanov. Moisev. Um, Moisev. Mo- yeah. They were never in the picture. It was going to be an American win. Yeah. So oh, we'll just go with that one for a second. <laughs> and this is not going to sound uh, probably not so professional on my part. Uh, luckily, I was God-gifted with an incredible amount of talent yeah. to ride well, a bike. Well, that's what, sort of interrupt you, but. So I know of you a lot through motocross action, right? Growing up reading the magazines. I was from, I'm from Canada, so never saw right. you race or anything like that. So motocross action was always Marty's going to ride every type of bike. He's overweight, but he's super talented. That, that is what MXA told me about you all those years. Right. That's basically and, all and, I know. <laughs> yeah, and prior to the same thing, I, the younger years until – 74, you know, I was pretty thin. Yep. In 74, I started gaining. In 75, I put on some weight, but it didn't slow me down. No, If no. I wanted to win the race, I'd win the race. Seemed like it. Yeah, it seemed like you were, you were and, able, uh, able to get around with that. It seems to be such a factor in people's minds, oh, I'm heavy, I can't do this. Well, that's BS, because if you want to win, you'll go out there and win. Another example of that is... Is JoJo Killer from? Um, yeah, I think he's from New England. New England, yep, yep, JoJo. And if anybody's ever heard or saw JoJo Killer, he was a big boy also. Uh, do you realize that JoJo? I got to go back in time here a little bit, but he was able to get into either a national or a Grand Prix at Unadilla ten, fifteen years ago. And from what I understand, he rode. An 85CR250. At the time, the bikes were out there in the 90s, mid-90s, I think. Yeah, this, I don't know what he, I don't know if he rode an older bike, but absolutely, I remember, because I was a mechanic in 96, he raced Unadilla in 96 or 97. He was 40-something years old. He was big, uh, and he qualified easily, and, and I think he rode pretty well. Um, and he, he was, was, yeah, he was 245 pounds. Yeah. And as I recall, he finished 
fifth or fourth. Yeah, I did pretty well. In the first moto. Yeah. Um, can you can you imagine those riders pulling in their pit and all the managers looking at them <laughs> and thinking about all that they know through the years in hiring? Yeah. And saying, "Oh, those guys, those guys had it easy in those days. They weren't that fast." Mm-hmm. And JoJo goes up and pulls that off. <laughs> if I was one of those riders that finished behind me, yeah. I would have beat myself to death in the pits. <laughs> yeah, JoJo's amazing. Um, so, well, back to that. You back to that USGP though. Yeah. So, so getting back to this. Yeah. I kind of racing was fun. And my fun factor is my life. And I took it way too serious about the fun part. Mm-hmm. Gags, messing <laughs> around. But I was able to still pull out the win when I wanted to. If somebody got me mad or I just had an itch, I'd go out and win. So with all that being passed, I thought after 76, 75, I quit. And then 76, um, I lost a lot of my hometown friends that I grew up with. I thought I had become something special. Oh, really? Yeah. I did. And I uh, lost very close longtime friends. Joe Holt, Steve Bartley, Wayne Boyer, Chip Howell. They kind of turned their backs on me to a degree. Some were a lot harder. But the point is, I caught myself. And um, in 76, I said, I, I, I don't like who I am, and basically packed up ahead of them then with some clothes, and I drove to Las Vegas. My sister was going with the guy, and he had a marina mm-hmm. in Overton Beach Resort on okay. the northern arm of Lake Mead. And um, I went there, told my sister, nobody's to know that I'm coming. I'm going there. I need a job. And I became a uh, <laughs> The dock master. That was it. You just quit the sport. Just that's it. Yep. I drove away. <laughs> I made a hundred and twenty-five dollars a month, room and board, uh-huh. and I ran the dock. <laughs> sold fish bait, lures, pumped gas. Um, that was it. That was my life until Marty Tripes became the old Marty Tripes, and um, kind of funny story. So nobody knows I'm there. Uh-huh. This boat pulls in and it's filling up. And he's looking at me odd. <laughs> and I'm on the dock and he's looking up at me in the sunlight. He goes, hey, I know you. I go, no, I don't think you do. Right. We're on here. Yeah. I'm just trying to turn away. Cause I just really need the time. Yeah. And uh, then I, <laughs> I finished filling up this guy's boat and he's getting ready to go. He goes, I got it. He goes, you're Marty Tripes. I said, uh, yeah, I am. Uh, I just got to ask you, please, just don't tell nobody I'm here. I'm trying to find myself, trying to make myself a better person. I thought it would be Hannah or something. I thought it was going to be Hannah or somebody, but it was just, no, it was just a random not, fan. Yeah, not like me. But, yeah. um, so, <laughs> What's funny is you, so yeah, you, you finished sixth in the Supercar Series in 75, and then you walked away to run a marina. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, I didn't like myself. Right. I didn't like what I did to my friends. It was more important. And then, 
and it still is today, my friends and people in San Diego that I've grown up with. Mm-hmm. But mainly, I didn't like myself. The money and, and the fast fame that goes for I come from Santee. We're real small. Mm-hmm. You know, you're from Santee. I, hey, I lived, you know. I lived in Santee when I worked at KTM for a couple of years. No kidding. I oh. know exactly. Oh, yeah. Said. Yeah, I lived in Santee. Well, that was uh, a lot more people there. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. So you got to imagine our, our main road through the valley was a two-lane road mission gorge road. That was it. Oh, I li- yeah, I lived, we, I lived we a few. had the incredible I sand pits. I lived a few streets off Mission Gorge, yeah. Yep. So, um, long story short, this guy we talked. Yep. He says, I won't say nothing, and uh, but you got to do one thing for me. Uh-huh. And that was, he wanted me to go in his high-powered speedboat. <laughs> so, I agreed. I met him. Okay. After work, got off at one, saw him around three, and... um. I didn't know it was a drag boat. <laughs> and anyway, we went 153 miles an hour. Oh. If any of you folks have been that fast on water, oh, even imagine. at 80, it's frightening. <laughs> Little ripples look like they're three-foot hoopty doos Yeah. And you're sitting way above the boat. At, anyway, that's... <laughs> at that moment, did you decide to go back racing? <laughs> I thought it sure was a lot safer jumping 40-foot <laughs> and 80-foot, I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, really. So uh, a month goes by. There's a phone call at the cafe, and my sister Renee, she's passed away here just last month. So rest in peace, sis. But uh, ah, sorry about that. Just kind of brought back numbers. Yeah, no problem. Take your time. So uh, the phone's ringing. Uh huh. And my nephew Brett, his uncle Marty. There's a guy on the phone. He says he's from Harvey Davidson. <laughs> I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a joke. Just yeah, sure he is. The guy yeah. hangs up. And the guy calls again. My sister answers and talks to him. So Renee calls me, my sister, and says, Marty, this guy says he's from Harley Davidson and he wants to talk to you. And he sounds pretty real. I go, just hang up on that joker. It's just a prank. Somebody, they know I'm here now, I guess. So that goes on, and after about four phone calls, I thought, well, what the heck? I go, get the guy's number, and I'll call him when I get off work after one. Uh-huh. So I get done, I go up to the cafe, and um, it says Dick O'Brien with the area code of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm going, God, is this real? So pick up the phone, I call him up. Dick O'Brien, and I listened listen to him, and um, he's telling me they have a motocross bike with uh, an Italian motor in it, and they want me to come race for them. <laughs> and I just couldn't hardly believe it. And something else, and when I found myself up there, uh, there was a stop sign about four miles up the road that leads into Overton. And so if you can imagine, I was um, running a dock, but I was also running every morning, that, that thing. I was doing like six miles in the morning, six miles at night, on my own where I hated running. I was diving down from uh, 30 feet to 180 feet, bringing up engine blocks, which were anchors mm-hmm. for the harbor. 
EPA came through, so we got to pull them out. Uh-huh. So I'd go drive down and chain up the lo- the VA block, swim back up, and then I'd hand pull them up with a rope. Jeez. So I was, you got to imagine, I was, in, I was like 210, skin and bone. Yeah. And I was a monster. And so from $125 a month to a $10,000 signing commission bonus check nice. and a salary on that, I said, you know what? <laughs> I don't care if it's a taco mini bike. Yeah, I'm We're going to race the I'm shit in. out of this right. bike. I'm in. I'm in, right? <laughs> so that's how Harley came. The bike was horrible. I bet. Heavy, no brakes, no power, paying to death. And um, Checks cashed, though? The checks cashed? Oh, yes. Harley <laughs> Dickens' money was good. Um, so, to make the story short enough, we were riding what they called Transans. Uh-huh. And that's when we had every European, Hawking yeah. Anderson, Toyota Hampson, yep. uh, Roger, Joel, everybody that was anybody was there with Americans. And uh, at that point right there, Marty Smith was really on his game. Tommy Croft. Oh, look at Tommy Croft. He's part of the San, yeah. San Diego gang. Yep. Tommy was really riding good. In fact, all the San Diego riders were, were, were good. You know, we um, think about it. We had a good 10, 15, 20-year span here of being the hot zone in San Diego. Um, so the point being, I was down to one race. I had no offers on the table. I wasn't done. I wanted to prove myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Marty Trites became serious. And um, <laughs> in St. Louis, my mechanic, the poor guy was trying, but these guys were flat track mechanics. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. And if I remember, right, I was with them working on the bike before practice, went over everything, double-checked. I was a pretty good mechanic. And uh, went out, bike was slow, basically came from dead last, very demanding track, high speed, sand whoops, very tough. I came all the way up in the top five somewhere, and um, I believe the bike broke. So, But I passed a lot of European riders, a lot of our guys. Yep. Now I got one moto to try to pull some miracle off, you can imagine, and um, get up to the, go through the bike again, the pits, triple everything, double check, mm-hmm. check, 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 and um, get up to the start dead last. And I was so on fire about winning, I believe it was in four laps, I was leading the race. Hmm. It wasn't four laps. It was not much more. Yeah, yeah. On a slow, heavy bike. <laughs> I passed everybody, leading the race. Last lap, you come down a very long downhill, hairpin turn, up about 100 yards, uphill to the finish line. The bike threw the chain off, no. going down the hill, and I could tell it was off. I never even touched the brakes in the hairpin. Just rammed the berm. Just, just kept going. The bike came down to almost, you know, 
enough where I could get off, and I never let it stop. I just ran with the bike up the hill, mm-hmm. pushing, 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 and the Coster went by. Uh, a couple other riders went by. I got the bike over the finish line. I just I fell to the ground. I was out. Yeah. No air. Yeah. Used up pushing that machine, but I did finish third or fourth. Oh, jeez. I was all over it. The point being, Terry Mulligan, Honda's manager at that time for Honda, uh-huh. was standing there and watched the whole thing. Okay. So now 77's over. We were out looking for a ride. No buyers. No buyers. And I already rode for Honda in um, yeah. 73. And their policy was that they never buy, hire a rider back. You don't get a second chance. Yeah, not back then, no. I called them up as the last phone call in the books. I had been to every Japanese company. They didn't want me. I said, listen, you guys got to talk to me. And uh, I kept calling and calling. So finally... They gave me a, a a date. I came up, and uh, I believe it was Mayor Koshi-san. Is that right, Mary Koshi-san? I might have the wrong name here. Mm-hmm. But I got a meeting. We sat down on a table. We started talking. Terry Mulligan was there. And I'm telling him, look, you have nobody that can beat Bob Hanna right now. Uh-huh. And they said, well, that's... How do you figure that? I said, because I know nobody's nobody on your team. Yeah. Well, we have Brad Lackey. We have so-and-so and so-and-so. I go, you're right. But they won't win the races for you. Yeah. And the Japanese is like looking in my eyes. <laughs> Marikoshi's son, that's what it was. Uh-huh. And he's trying to pull out every stop to see if I'm for real and serious. So... He's asking questions, and then the meeting stops, and Terry Mulligan talks to Marikoshi and says, I was at St. Louis, and here's what happened. Mm-hmm. And this is what Marty did. He said, he was definitely by far faster by seven seconds a lap. Yeah. Easily. And this is, I mean, this is peak Bob Hanna. This is, you know, Hanna. You right. Know. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm on a Harley-Davidson that weighs <laughs> 265. Yeah. 360 just, I mean, I hate to beat up the Harley, but it just was what it was the worst bike you could Okay, have. so, well, one of my questions I had was, you rode a Baltaco, you rode a Can-Am, you rode a Harley, you rode a Husqvarna <laughs> when they were, like, what was the worst one? But it, I'm, I'm taking I, it, it's Harley. It's Harley. If I remember right, we had this contest with Brad Lucky. I have rode for more factors than anybody Oh, for sure. In MX history. I, I bet you did, And yes. I believe it's 14. <laughs> the reason it can't be beaten today, so I'm going to go ahead and take this gold. Yeah. Because Botaco's not around. Yeah. <laughs> Montessa's not around. And all these other companies that uh, are out there are no longer. But uh, Yeah, take take it along with your the world's best taco maker. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that, after talking to him, the door opened up. They were out of money. And they said, well, it costs a lot of money to send you with the mechanic, Q-Cup, and this and that. And I said, listen, 
you don't pay me no salary. You take care of my air flights. You take care of my mechanic. I have good bikes, but I want like, what was it? 25, 50,000, mm-hmm. something for everyone. I don't, I don't want even money for second or third, which I knew the other guys' contracts were. And I think that shocked them. It surprised them. Yep. If I don't win, you don't win, nobody wins. I'm going to win. I'm going to beat Bob Anna for you. So guess what? They gave me a chance, but there were some uh, things that went with it. And so he was trying to ruffle me up to see if I was serious. So the condition was I had to ride the new, uh, I had to ride a CR-125. If you can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm in pretty good shape. I'm still 210, 211. And I rolled that thing to death. And after two races, I said, I have to have a 250 to train on and to race two classes. They gave me a 250. 78, the Honda CR250 was an animal. Yeah, it was good. Uh, Everybody says 79 and 80. Yep. Center ports are good. They don't know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. The 78 was a side piper, Mm -hmm. meaning the exhaust came off the side of the cylinder instead of a center port. Yep. Two strokes need restriction. Uh, back pressure, mm-hmm. and the bike absolutely, from the bottom to mid-range, had the power that none of those other bikes had. I mean, with my weight, I could shift gears so early to slow down the rear tire from spinning, and people can not even hear me shift. I'd be in third gear, and they'd still be in second or first. Yeah, yeah. And, and I just pulled track. The bike was just an animal. So, I next race, 250, I won it by miles at Carlsbad. I blew up the 125 on purpose. <laughs> I could make a bike blow up. Yeah, yeah. I could make a bike break anywhere on track. Yeah. yeah. And so I blew it up so I didn't have to ride it. Yep. Honda decides to have a big test on us. And we all go to Bishop, California. In the winter, it's pretty cold. And everybody's there. Pomeroy, Lackey, the European riders, I think Grand Noyce was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're doing this big test. So they make me bring my 125 and 250 up. Get there, we have a meeting. We're doing testing, shock testing. We're doing motor testing. Everybody got to ride their open and 250 bikes. Nope, Marty, you ride 125. <laughs> so, you know, as you know, that's right next to Mammoth. Yeah. So we're easily six thousand feet. The bike had no power. Yeah. I never shut never shut off the throttle on the practice laps. All I did was shift up and shift down. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to blow it up it again. Was quite, <laughs> quite obvious. Uh that was going pretty damn fast. Yeah. But, and I I think I have to hand this to Tommy Croft. Went over to Mulling and says, Look at everybody knows here how fast Marty is right now. Get him off that 125. Put him on a 250. Give him a chance. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. So they came over and, uh, hey, Marty, would you ride the 250? I said, yes. I want to ride the 250. So I went out there and just smoked the lap times that we had gone easily 
second and a half to see seconds a lap. It was obvious that the speed was there and all that. Mm-hmm. And that's when they finally came around. They said, you're granted, you're on all the way. You got the 250, you've got a truck, and you got your mechanic. And we'll go for what we, uh, we're going to agree on. And that's bonuses only. Uh-huh. So 78, before, I have never trained in my life. I trained hard. This was, was it. Yeah. Five, five miles a day. I was a really good racquetball player. I was getting two, three hours of that a day. And I was getting three hours a day of, on the bike. So I was. You were ready. I was ready. And I came right out of the hall. I think the first race in Seattle. I finished second. I, I, I honestly could have won it. I don't know why I held back. Mm-hmm. I just. But then after that, it was the chains were released. And I won, um, I think it was Atlanta, Daytona, and uh, was going on good. Had some real good battles. He fell for Hannah and Pittsburgh. Wow, what a battle. Mm-hmm. And it was either he won or I won. It was back and forth, back and forth. Unfortunately, the bike being as great as it was, we had a couple breakdowns. Mm-hmm. And the biggest one was being second in the points and L.A. Coliseum, of all places, the last race. We were pretty close, mm-hmm. Bob and I. And I can't quite remember if I was leading the series or not, but it didn't take much to beat them, to win it. So with that all being said, we get on the gate, the bike locks up in second gear off the start. I did everything I could, on and off, throttle, shift, clutch, and it wouldn't come out of second gear. And if anybody's been to the Coliseum, in the mid-70s, later 70s, the track was very, very fast. Yeah. Easily fourth gears. Yeah, it was was fast. I, I couldn't even qualify. My whole year was over and for me personally it's the only year i've ever wanted to win i wanted to win and walk away and um marty tripes actually trained i was there my mind was right yeah and i was gonna let my fans and my friends do that for them let them know that i was the fastest rider in the world and um i was Thanks for listening to the uh, Fly Racing Racer X podcast with Marty Tripes. Funny guy, interesting guy, an amazing career uh, on the motorcycle for sure. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Appreciate it. Flyracing.com. Please check them out on the web. From the Rion equipped formula to the redesigned Evo gear, down to the new FR5 boot, Fly Racing has, a, has you covered head to toe. For any riding need, visit flyracing.com to see the entire lineup. Thank you, Maxis Tires, maxis.com. Great mountain bike tires, MXST tires as well. We're going to work on a discount code for you people to uh, purchase some Maxis and give them a try yourself. Thanks, Alpine Stars as well. Tech 7 is my boot of choice, but Tech 10, the most advanced boot in motocross today. Of course, the Bionic Neck support system as well. A4 chest protector, A1 chest protector. These are the ones that you wear underneath, and you can barely tell. Used by a lot of pros out there. Uh, racing the Nationals right now. Oh, I guess the Nationals just ended, but they used to wear them, wearing the Nationals. 
I, I don't know what I was saying. Thanks to Racetech also. Pulp19 is the code to save. Racetech.com. Get your motor serviced. Get your suspension serviced. Racetech suspension seminars are going on very shortly here. You want to check that out, the October 12th to 18th at the Racetech headquarters in Corona, California. So add uh, some uh, business to your shop by learning how to do suspension and motors. Well, suspension for this one. And they also do motors. Thanks to Racetech for making it happen. All right, back to the Fly Racing Racer X podcast with Marty Tripes. Now, Hannah, Hannah is notorious for you know playing mind games and for hating his competition and, and this and that. So in 78, are you guys getting along, or is he hating you like he hated everybody? Well, I think he wanted to hate, hate me, but, <laughs> but, but you, know, you people are um, very lovable guys. Yeah. They get along with everybody. Yeah. So, and because I proved to him that I could be, beat him any race I wanted to mm-hmm. and was doing it, he do that. So he didn't want to stir it. Oh, yeah. He didn't yeah. want to get me mad. Right, right. Didn't want to wake the sleeping bear type deal. <laughs> yeah, he didn't want to want to wake me or stir the pot, but. So what he did, he thought he had some fun. Like, if there's anybody that wrote, even in today's racing, for you um, younger guys, newer generations, there's two guys in the world that can do a mindset on you before the race, during the race, and after the race. And it all starts with Jim Weinert. Uh-huh. Man, could that guy get inside your head. <laughs> <laughs> and you you read about it. And I yeah. know the newer generation would read about it maybe if they ever look back and go, ah, that guy couldn't. Who is this Jimmy Weiner? Well, him and Bob Hanna were the same. Yeah. And Bob was a little bit different where Jimmy had his ways of doing it. So Bob's thing was with me. You know he couldn't beat me if I didn't wanted to beat him. So one race, we're on the starting line, and uh, we're sitting there. And I think, you know, Bevo was a good friend of um, mm-hmm. McCarthy and Bob Hanna. Mm-hmm. So he, I think they paid Bevo, who it was. And he brings up a six-foot submarine sandwich. <laughs> and they lay it on top of my fender on the starting gate. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my mechanic's going nuts and my manager's going nuts. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm sitting there laughing. I go, this is great, guys. <laughs> You're like, thanks for the sandwich. <laughs> yeah, it was at some race. Oh, that's and good. And then in uh, New Orleans, he, or uh, I'm sorry, Houston, uh, Houston, it was Houston where they came up and they put a two-by-four through my spokes through my front wheel. <laughs> and uh, laughter everywhere. All the wires are laughing, and yeah, yeah. and I'm laughing because it's not affecting me. And Bob's trying to get into my head, but it's not working. So he's trying everything. And so that was the last one. So say Can to, you imagine yeah. if you did that today? Oh, my God. Guys would, oh, you're getting fined 500 Oh, bucks yeah. Or, no, it would be the big you – know, guys like me would make the biggest deal out of that. Media guys like it, me would freak it, out. It's just crap. And our sport needs color like that. Yeah. We need somebody in there. In so we had a lot of fun. 78, though. Even though I wanted as fast as most talented, yeah. mechanical, I didn't get it, folks. So you probably. I also was putting the 250 outdoors, and uh, the bike broke twice. We seized it up twice. Yeah, back. And that's the only reason Hannah won in '78. Back the loss in 250. Back then, when I when I talked to older guys and everything else, I talked to Roger or or Bob's done these shows with me. Mm-hmm. Back then, like. 
it, and it never happens now, of course, you guys had to ride a certain way to make sure your bikes didn't break. You couldn't launch it off gravity cavity. You couldn't, you couldn't do all these things that you wanted to all the time. Keeping the bike running was something you had to think about back then. It, it's, it's crazy to think about in 2019 because these guys don't care. They're revving it to 15,000 RPM and it's no problem. But back then, man, you guys really had to like, you know, make sure that everything was good with the bike. It was. Yeah. And for me, we were poor. You know, the first real race bike I ever got was a Penton 100 because we couldn't afford the 125. So I worked on my bikes all week as a kid. And that was part of the success is that I could hear things and feel things that other riders couldn't. Also, for you newer generations, you should say thank you to me and thank you to Jim Weinert. Thank you to Roger DeCoster because we're the guys that paved the road from the beginning. You guys will never realize from year to year the changes in power plants, the changes in suspension. It was literally making history and making motocross bikes good. Yeah. Yeah, big big gains. Uh, we were the that guys time. that yeah. made things break and made them better. The info to the Japs, yeah. including Thorsten Holman and those guys over there, getting that information through. The engineering and forward advancements then is nothing like today. It's different. Speaking of that, there's something that every one of you guys that are a rider out there, trials, uh, trail rider, racer, you ever see and wonder why the swinging arm bolt, where it's at, that the foot pegs are directly under it? Uh-huh. You ever wonder how that got there? No, but you can tell me. I'm sure the folks out there don't know this either. <laughs> yeah. 72 at the L.A. Coliseum, the YZ250s, the foot pegs were forward. They went over a shoulder. They had a pinch bolt to hold it on, and they had an end cap bolt to hold it from slipping off the peg. I rode standing up so much that the bike didn't feel good to me. I couldn't feel the way it bottomed out. I just, the balance was not there. So myself, I took my pegs off. I was looking at him. I switched him around and on the YZ because the way it's set up, it went, the foot pegs could go reverse. You could switch them around. And it brought my foot peg directly under the swinging arm bolt. I remember as a kid, a teeter totter. If you ever get up on a teeter totter and you want to stand there and balance it, I'm yeah. sure you've done this in your life as a kid. Yeah. How do you control that? Well, right. Man, your body weight's got to be in the center. Of yeah, that go to the center, point. right? Yeah. And your legs on each side determine how much weight you want to do it. And I was thinking at my younger age at that point, I said, that way I can turn around and control the front end and the rear end. So when I turned up and with the brand new YZ250s, those were the bikes back then in the days, uh, light years ahead of everything, right? And uh, Thorsten Harmon comes over. And he's looking at my bike, and he's 
pointing to the pegs, and he comes up to me and goes, Marty, why do you ride with the pegs like this? Yeah. It doesn't work. I go, Torsten, it does work, and it makes it work for me very, very well. Wow. He walks off. The race goes <laughs> Race gets over. He brings over Hawken Anderson, Gunner Lindstrom, or I think it was not Gunner. Um, anyway, all the other Swedish yep. factory Yamaha riders. Mm-hmm. And he's coming up and he's pointing and showing them. And they're all scratching their heads. And they all, the riders and Holland Company and Marty, explain to me why that's that way. <laughs> And what I just explained to you, folks, yeah. is what I it told, told yeah. Thorsten. I said, Thorsten, that way I'm in the center. I can predict the rear end and the front end, the pressures, weight loading, unloading. It made the bike better. And he said, he turned around. He's, he, he told um, Hawken Anderson, and I'm using Hawken because I just can't come up with the other names. Mm-hmm. But from that day on... Thorsten, all those people turned their pegs. They had the shorten the shifter, mm-hmm. shorten the brake pedal to make it all work. Right. But that was the birth. I'm responsible for that. Thorsten nice. and all of them didn't tell me this. I just figured, you know, they went and did it. Yeah. And he made everybody right away. And then all the bikes came that way. At the. Uh, Scott Burns worked GP party. Yeah. Carlsbad party after yep. one of the races. Yeah. Four years ago, Thorsten came to me and he said, Marty, I have to tell you something. I said, yeah, Thorsten. And we're talking. He goes, do you realize how much you've done for the sport and this and that? I go, I never think about it. And I, yeah. I don't know. What are you talking about? He says, I'm just going to use one thing I'm going to tell you. Do you remember 72? I said, yes, Thorsten. Do you remember when I said I thought you were crazy about your foot pegs being in the center of the bike? I go, yes, I do. He goes, you are the reason every factory and every rider in the pilot has their foot pegs. You're oh, responsible. Yeah. Yeah. You alone. Oh, that's funny. So I bet you didn't make sense. That. No, no, I bet no, all I... your folks didn't know Yeah, that. yeah, no, it makes sense. Absolutely. Um, For me... That didn't matter so much. It mattered to Marty Tripes. The poster on my wall in my bedroom. Yeah. Dorsen Holland is telling me what I did. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, what what better part can you get out of motocross like? No, absolutely. Uh, Fly Racing, Racer X podcast with Marty Tripes, uh, presented by Alpine Stars and Maxis, of course. Um Let's dive into this race, Marty. Let's talk a little bit about this. Um, you've got something going on. You've got an exciting thing going on with two strokes. And, you know, there's more and more two strokes coming back. There's no doubt about that. We'll, we'll get to my pet peeve of two strokes that, that I told you about over the phone a couple weeks ago. But but for now, what's what's going on? Tell us about this race. Well, long story short, you know, we've had all those mental problems with my family. And I haven't been in the races. I actually put on quite a few races. Uh five years prior to this, and um, a friend of mine I've known since 12 years old says, Marty, I'm sick of the four strokes. I grew up with two strokes. Would you please put on three races for me? <laughs> I said, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. And I said, the work involved, these guys don't appreciate it. They don't understand 
how much of your life that consumes and the money for insurance and money for trophies and this and this. And then the track has to make its money. The only money we get back out of this after spending all the money up forward pre pre before the race is how many riders come through the gate. You're either going to make even or you're going to lose or you might make some. So I got out of it for that reason. I told him that. He says, I don't care. Let's just do it. You do it the way you want to do it. And I said, listen, you're my prince since 12 years old. I said, I'm going to do it. So I said to myself, what were the happy times for me in racing? What were the happy times for my friends in racing? Well, it was the late 60s, the early 70s, and it was the, basically the birth of um, motocross. So I started thinking, um, you know, we didn't have any four-strokes back then. It was all two-strokes. So I said, well, let's do this. Well, when two-strokes only, the modern two-strokes never seem to race. You know, there, there's vintage racing, and then there's modern. There's never together. So I said, let's do a two-stroke race. Let's run from all the way, all the years from 374 through 2020 current. That was the first thing. Then I started thinking, how are we going to get people there? And um, I said, well, pros and experts. I consider it pro and expert, but it's the same, by the way. In our years, it was novice, intermediate, expert. Mm -hmm. An expert was as good as you could ever get. So at that base, I said, you know, we had so much fun back then, and we always had a big turnout when we had a $1,000 cash purse. Yeah. You know, everybody show up. Who's going to show up and let's watch the battle? And so then we had all – I got that figure it out. So I said, okay, we're going to put $10,000 cash per race. We're going to have three races. So there's $30,000 guaranteed at three races. By the way, the races are Kalila Creek, September 21st coming up. Yep. The next one is October 26th back at Kalila Creek. And our last race will be at Glen Helen on the big track, November 16th. Okay. So, those are our three race dates. And, yep. um, so getting back to this, I said, thinking back, okay, all the talks out there, everybody says they're coming. All these pro experts are coming. I've been hearing all the talk. I go, the intermediate and the novice, those guys are the ones that pay for our sport. In the end, the pro, the expert pros, they're all taken care of by the factory. They're taken care of by local shops. They really don't pay for a lot, like the intermediate and the novice. I said, we need those guys, and we need to take care of them. And we got to get them stimulated. So how do I do that? So I started thinking, and I said, you know what? If I'm offering $10,000 cash to my pro guys, yeah. oh, they'll be there. I need to match that and get contingency prizes and certificates and everything to match that. So we went to work. And darn, if we didn't get all these sponsors on board, and now we have 10000 in contingency. The pros get cash only. They're not going to get any contingency like the intermediates and novices are. Can you imagine that? 
Yeah. 10000 for those guys, they're going to go home with something in their hands. Yeah. That's you know awesome. what I'm saying? Yeah. So that was the second thing. The biggest thing out there right now that's going on, the fourth stroke is just a monster. What an incredible machine. But what an incredible cost. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it was a double ray, double sharp knife. The bike is superior, fantastic. It does so much, so much technology and time in it. And um, the point being, it was very expensive. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot and to I'm just it. Run, yeah. Running around number out there, Steve. That I'm guessing pretty close to eighty percent couldn't afford them. Yep. Eighty percent can't work on them. And we lost hundreds and thousands of riders over this time period from, I want to say the first four stroke was 99 in Las Vegas. That's the Supercross, I think. That makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. So from there, it just went four stroke nuts. In that time period to now, our base for magazines Helmet builders, fly racing, boot makers, goggle companies, you name it. Our base is, is dwindling. It's going away. So I said, how do we get these guys back? Hence the two-stroke. Mm-hmm. All these guys that had two-strokes and tried to go to the four-stroke and just lost it, was too expensive, couldn't afford to have them fixed, they went and did something else, some other sport. So I thought if I could run the yeah. stroke race with all this and talking to Brock at Dunlop and talking with Fly Racing, uh, Bob Lowry, and other people at Yamaha, they said I, they believe I'm pushing all the right buttons. And it's like appears it. yeah. from the talk that we're going to have just a massive rip there. So the bottom line is, Steve, I'm hoping to... And a two-stroke's easier to buy. You can buy a used 2006 Yamaha, 250 for about $3,000, and it's amazing, bulletproof. You rebuild the motor on a four-stroke. Again, I'm not saying quit four-strokes. Yeah. I'm just letting these people know what the costs are. And I'm sure they are because we've lost them. You know, $3,500 is not very appealing to six or seven hundred dollars at a max on a two-stroke, a crank, a rod, piston, rings, board job, and you're golf. You're going again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty simple. Yeah, they don't break. So I know that uh, within doing this, I've already talked to some people that have bought two-strokes again just to come do this. And um, so, in the words of the three sponsors and Bob Lowry. They're saying that this could be awesome. a rebirth in history of the two-stroke. Uh, I think, well, you're paying good money. You'll get good riders there. You'll get a lot of people showing up. I like it. September 24th, Cahia is round one. Here's my... 21st. 21st, 21st. sorry. September 21st, Cahia. Here's my big thing, and I told you this on the phone. Like, I, I get it. I, I'm a technology guy. I like the four-strokes. I ride a 450. It's EFI, it is amazing, and all of that. So I'm that way. But I 100% see a spot for two strokes nowadays, and I see more and more of them, and I get it. 
However, my pet peeve is with the OEMs. They're pricing these two-strokes, the newer ones, that haven't really changed all that much, bodywork and some uh, suspension updates here and there. They're pricing these things way too high. That's where they're failing. And I've told the Yamaha guys this and – and everything else, Yamaha, KTM, Husqvarna making you know competitive, good two-strokes, and of course TM and these other guys are, are still hanging on. They gotta lower the price. Like I, they gotta make an entry level good race bike. You know these molds have paid for themselves by now, Marty. <laughs> oh yeah, they've. Um, so that's my. You're going this. That's, that's exactly my beef. Right. Yeah, that's my Let's beef. Take the Kawasaki KX500. That bike. Yeah. Didn't change for 14, no. 15 years. What changed was the plastics, yep. the graphics. The 2006 Yamaha 250, I think that was the last year they made that. Uh, yeah, no. That, no that's no. pretty much the same. The uh, first year they went to aluminum was 2005. They went to aluminum frame. And then uh, since right. then, they've been the same. Yeah. Then the same. So why not? Get that? What are they going for retail, Steve? Uh, I think they're like eighty five hundred or something. Why can't that thing be at six thousand? I, I don't. 5, I don't know, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, the Yamaha guys, their their comeback is like, hey, we sell out of what we we make, so we're doing fine. And my comeback is all, well, you're probably not making that many, so you know, you know, I don't know. Correct. I just they they need to get the price lower to get people into them um and that's my biggest complaint but but I'll tell you what regardless of that I'd ride my local track out here in Vegas and I go to California to ride Cahia or Glen Helen or or the the desert high desert tracks before they closed and there is no doubt there was more two strokes out now than there were 5 years ago 100% they're they're coming back a little bit and I say the need is they miss motocross so much this and the new guys can't afford in that 80% that I said left, this new 80%, if that's what you want to call for, for example, they want to race motocross, but they can't afford the four-stroke. If, and on you guys folks listen to this, and um, I'm sure Steve would agree, as Steve and I are talking, a family, you got two boys, and they want to get in the sport, Two boys, it's nothing today these days to spend ten thousand for a family get together thing, project or something the family does. If you could get two bikes and that they're bulletproof, as in a two stroke, you know how many people would come back and the wires that we lost before, they can buy a five thousand to six thousand modern two stroke. Speaking of modern of the two-stroke, you can imagine the whole base of the world where America's suffering in numbers, Europe down under, everywhere the numbers are cut in half. If the database, the base came back up, why wouldn't you not sell those things at that price when they're making a Mm -hmm. a, a way big uh, percentage to... You've put so much money in the four-stroke and technology. If they just took half of the money they took in technology and development, applied it back into the two-stroke with uh, the smog issues, let's just call that one part, and then get into the suspension and and do like they did with the four-stroke, the number base would come back. 
their company would grow in strength. All the manufacturers, pipe builders, mm -hmm. uh, wheel makers, the accessory company, everybody would be strong again. You need the numbers we've lost. And in numbers, we are stronger. And when we're stronger, guess what? There's more voting and things. There's more chances to open more grounds and tracks. Because somebody look at it and say, you know what? Motocross is starting to pay out. At least I can make a little money and I can put on a race. Watch tracks open again. The whole thing could start over and be maybe. helping. Yeah, maybe. We just got to get... We gotta, like I said, I'm a fan of the modern 450. EFI is amazing. The bikes are great. So I'm, I'm a fan of that. You know, but but having said that, we need to get low priced two strokes, so people can have a choice right. and and they can figure out a choice and get into what they right. want. And then if they want to step up and get a 250F and a 450 down the road, great. They're there. They're available. Yeah. You know. But and I agree. I'm a fan of the four stroke. I come from an older school. Mm -hmm. uh, just from the money values and all that. I don't know if I'd ever buy a, a modern four-stroke, but they are a – I would just love to be my age in the 70s and have a chance to ride a modern four-stroke bike like Bob and Croft and yeah. Smitty and all those guys. <laughs> Can you imagine if he had that bike? Yeah. Oh, jeez. I can't yeah, yeah, imagine. Yeah. We're talking about time differences. Shit. That. Marty, it's what it is. Your Yamaha had a radiator on the handlebars. <laughs> mine mine didn't. Oh, okay. I thought that was the year. But, yeah, yeah. But, uh, uh, 81? Was, okay. I think Hannah had to ride it and Brock bought it. Oh, my God. And it was horrible, man. The weight up there. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Terrible idea. <laughs> it was horrible. Terrible idea. So, uh, that being said, people out there, don't. Take it that I'm against four strokes. I'm not. No. They are fantastic machines. Um, is there a website for people to check this out, these races out? You know what? My website is uh, not up, but you can go to my Facebook. Facebook? Okay. Marty Tripes on uh, Facebook. Marty Tripes. Yep. You can go to Kawea Creek MX, mm -hmm. and they have a website up. Okay. And our information is in Facebook. Our sign up is online. You can go to the register on uh, Trackside. Uh, trackside, and um, if you pre-register, it's cheaper. One, mm -hmm. two, fly racing. I'm offering a brand new 10 by 10 easy up fly racing shade. Nice. If your hat gets drawn out of that thing, you could be having a brand new 10 by 10 easy up in your pit. Nice, nice. Well, the folks at Fly are big supporters of this podcast for sure, and everything that we do uh, at Racer X and Pulpamex. So you know, they were with me prior five years ago. Yeah, and they've always been such support. These guys are fantastic at Fly. Oh, that's and good. Speaking of that, uh, Steve, is there a chance I could uh, name all my sponsors? Yeah, just go to ahead. Give the credit yeah. for coming out and doing all this. Yeah, so, folks, the ones that are coming to race. I'm on a list this, and it's an incredible list. There's $30,000 in cash for the experts. My intermediate novice guys, listen, there's $30,000 for three races. We are working hard for you. We're making sure the race is going to go good. We've got dual water trucks. We just worked for you guys really hard. And... The sponsor list here, guys, 
all those budgets were set in 2018. They spent them, you know, we're, we're in August and going into September. That money from last year was spent. We were able to get all these sponsors I'm going to list right now. They came on board because they believe in this like I do, and they see the potential of maybe shaking up and getting people back in. And the way is two strokes for the most part. Maybe they ignite them to get a four stroke. So with that said, my number one sponsor is Fly Racing. My other three major sponsors are on top. Spec Bolt, 6D Helmets, Marine J6, Dunlop, Brock Glover, Motion Pro, Asterix, Charlie Richardson Racing. He's a vintage shop for CZs, CR Racing, SoCal Mako, Gary Quartz, anything you guys need for a Mako. I know this is the vintage part of it, but let me know. No, that, that's Matrix. Fine, yeah. Yep, Matrix is with this. Dubai Wheel is with this. 100% goggles. A local chiropractor for Marty Smith and myself and a bunch of the guys and the Chargers before they left town. Gary DeForest, chiropractics. Uh, my races, I always usually have a barbecue for the guys. Uh, Heartland Meat Company, we call him Smoking Joe. He takes care of all the riders and all our people. Fantastic. That's our meat company for the barbecue. ASV Lovers is with us. Moto Nations, Bill Broth. Renthal is with us. Nice. Here's, you know, and I, I, I don't care who the sponsor is it. Here's a local guy that races motocross. Mm -hmm. Bob Kelly, you knew garage doors. No, oh, okay. These are on the West Coast. He's uh, the only garage door manufacturer west of the Mississippi. Makes all USA products. Oh, wow. Cool. So he's a racer, and he's he's put money into the pot to help this thing come off. Jack's Barbecue in Lake Elsinore. Uh, Works Connection. Johnstone Works Racing. Johnstone Works Racing is a guy that makes factory 100cc bikes. So for you folks out there, maybe not have heard of, I have a class called the... Um, Marty Trice 100cc works revenge, and the total meaning of it is in 87, 89, AMA shut off all the factory bikes, <laughs> trying to make it competitive for the other riders. Yeah, 86. Yeah. Was it 86? 86, yep. Thanks, thanks, Steve. So the point is, all the exotic stuff that we drooled over as kids and couldn't get our hands on that made our bikes better or the production bikes to come, they stopped that. And when that happened, I felt, as in other different categories of work in America, we put our heads to sleep. Mm -hmm. When we were in two-stroke days all these years, you had pipe builders, you had wheel makers, we had my God, frame makers. Yeah. We had oh, everybody yeah. real, was trying real to make cool the era. Bike yeah, real cool era in motocross for sure. So everybody's working and making money. 
uh, yourself, you were going in, you had, how could I make my bike faster? Mm-hmm. P- people were thinking and working. That's all left. Now you just buy it. Yeah. And uh, I think it's dumbed us a bit, is my point. So yeah. anyway, that class is that. And John, John Stone works racing. That's what he does. So I make my, awesome. my own. Another motocrosser. Uh, I call him the dental star to the motocross world, supercross world. Right there in Lake Elsinore, Steve Wilder, dental. Yeah. DC Plastics has always been with us. They're out there. Yep. Maximum, Ronnie Lachine, ex-Honda rider. He's uh, come on board with Maximum Healing out their home. They're on board. Uh, proud to have Henson on board, Clutches. The guys from uh, L.A. Sleeve, Dave, they're on board. Gaffner, um, All-Star is with us. Race Tech. Uh, spider Grips, Vortex Company that makes uh, suspension uh, CDI units, mm-hmm. Bassett Salons. You're going Bassett Salons. <laughs> <laughs> if you remember the old days, there was Bassett Headers for race cars and drugs. No, I don't remember that. No, you don't remember. No. World famous for headers. Okay. For dope. Yeah, yeah. And um, pretty world famous. Made a lot of good dough. He loved motocross. Rick Staden was one of his writers. Jim oh, okay. Gibson was yeah, yeah. factory writers. Yeah. He had a team. His son, Ward Bassett, followed suit. Uh, unfortunately, um, Ward's dad passed away. That was a giant loss. But that's who Bob Bassett is. And okay. Ward still likes to nimble with us. And the last one is Fastlane Graphics. And... It's an incredible list. That's good. For, yeah, it's a lot of no money. A lot of support. Absolutely, that's awesome. No, it's cool so to all those to guys see. are on board for you. Great, intermediate and novice racers. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's sweet. Um, well, good luck with this, Marty. Man, thanks very much for the time on the uh, Fly Racing Racer X podcast. Uh, like I said, it's uh, it seems like it's going to be successful. I think there's a spot for it. I think you found a, a nice little home for it, and uh, good tracks and a good series. And man, what a career you had! AMA Hall of Famer. Daytona winner, yeah. USGP winner, first ever Supercross winner. <laughs> Something on the GPs real quick. A yeah. lot of folks don't know this. I'm from San Diego. Marty Smith's from San Diego. Marty Motes is from San Diego. All three of us won the first GPs in 125, which was Marty Smith. I won the first American GP in 78. In Unadella, mm-hmm. and Marty Moats won the first 500 GP at Carlsbad. Carlsbad, yeah. Isn't that something? Yeah. So what was what, Jim Pomeroy was the first one to win in Europe? What yes. Was, what was Pomeroy? That was his, okay. So that was his uh, thing, the first European GP winner, American to yes. win. Yeah, I okay. believe he won that in Spain. Yeah, yeah, yep, absolutely. But all three Martys in San Diego were the yeah. first GP winners of America. Yeah, no, that's pretty neat. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, so, in, where, in closing, where's your where, where's your where's your Unadilla GP plaque trophy? You have it still? Oh, of course. I've got my bib. I've got my hat that awesome. I wore at the Winter Circle. Yeah. Um, I actually have all of that stuff. Oh, that's awesome. And one one writer that has kept everything from from the day I started. I have um, 
last count, I think it's about 120 pounds of pitchers. <laughs> yeah, okay. It was like 258 millimeter. I know those guys aren't going to know yeah, what yeah. that means. <laughs> <laughs> That's showing some age. Yeah. And I have everything. Good, good. Yeah, because some guys don't keep much, and it always amazes me. I'm just like, you know, I'm, I'm one of those guys I got a studio here with – Jerseys and boots and hats and helmets and everything and, and um, stuff that I that I uh, had my mechanicing career when I worked for certain riders, and I always wonder when I talk to guys like I, Ricky Ryan. I did one of these podcasts with Ricky Ryan. I said, "Where's your Daytona '87 trophy?" He's like, "I don't know." I'm like, "What? You just won the biggest <laughs> Supercross race of the year, and you, you don't know?" And he he didn't care. And it's, so it's good. I'm glad you got it all. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's something uh, my dad helped me with. I mm-hmm. didn't know that he did. Right. And then I started in Tommy Cop, the guy is the nicest man in the world, and so are all the other writers. What happens there is you get an admirer, a fan, and they go, have you got a jersey? And, yeah, yeah. You know, or you've got anything, and before you know it, you're giving everything away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have it. Yeah. But on that note, if anybody has an interest, I'm 63 years old. I'm actually thinking about selling my entire stock oh, to okay. one buyer. All right. If anybody has an interest, right. that's there. Yeah. But, uh, Good to know. Yeah, people will be listening. Time changes everything. Uh-huh. I cannot say enough on how lucky I was and fortunate no. to uh, do what I got to do. Absolutely. Well said. Well, good luck with this race, Marty. Thank you for the time on the podcast. Really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, man, we'll talk down the road. Thanks, Marty. Yep. Hey, in my closing note, Yep. you guys out there, remember when you look at your foot pegs <laughs> and see that it's under that swing arm. Thank you. You can, bl- you can blame the taco vendor for that one. There we go. Fantastic. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Marty. Thanks for the time, Steve. Thanks, folks. Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. it was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Storbeck because that he never said sorry. Because Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunas. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosile Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And, and Miguel was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right. And, right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't been, you know, yeah. if, it, if it hadn't been there. The Hurricane, Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. Absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Holland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home, and once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take the money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just 
thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The Daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse, I mean, you know, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Pro Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled pick and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny Omar. Stuff that you could you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride it, you just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in, I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes Store to enjoy these and over 800 great motocross podcasts. As the days and the months and the years.